0: No Welcome to a special Middle Sunday of Wimbledon episode of No Challenges Remaining. I am Ben Rothenberg, and joining me from across the pond in good old SW19, or somewhere near there, is... My dear friend and co-host, Courtney Nguyen. Hi, Courtney. Cheerio, as they say.
1: Cheerio. Well, you know what I found out this week? What's that? That I got made fun of really badly? Is that Cheerio means goodbye?
0: Oh. <laughs> I didn't know that, actually. I don't think. <laughs> I
1: got totally mocked by a bunch of Brits for, because I think I may have used it as a thank you also, like somebody gave me something. I was like, oh, Cheerio. And then, like everybody, like stopped working and stared at oh, me. Oh, I knew, and, I know. knew it
0: wasn't thank you. That, Bye. that at least I know. I thought it was hello, though. Just,
1: something pulled off my tongue, but, uh, but it definitely doesn't mean hello, apparently.
0: Okay, well, I thought, like, so, I thought it's sort of like they're aloha, you know, just use it for, that, you know.
1: But it was aloha, and they were like, "No, it means goodbye." I was like, "Well, you guys and your stupid language rules."
0: Exactly. And you've had you've been you've been having to write in British recently also, I believe.
1: I have. I have, although I haven't it's not so much writing in British so much as like not writing in American. Okay. So in other words like I'm not like throwing in, you know, Faulty Towers references <laughs> every 5 minutes, but I'm also not, you know, making Liz Lemon jokes either. Yeah. So, um, which is ta- you know, it's
0: been just Liz Lemon jokes are awesome.
1: They're awesome, but they just don't get them here like nobody watches any of those shows. So, I mean, I got made fun of for making a Scooby-Doo reference. So, you know, walking on eggshells over here, uh, 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 across the pond. But, uh, but yeah, it's been, it's been a good week, but this, uh, this middle Sunday has been, I've been counting, counting it down for a while.
0: You ready to get back to the action?
1: I am. But at the same time, like I was just like really looking forward. I mean, because I understand from like a, kind of fan perspective of, like, you know, obviously people work during the week, and then they have their weekends. And for Wimbledon, there's one day on that weekend when fans actually have time to devote to watch tennis yeah. where no tennis is played, uh, which can be frustrating. But for, at least for me and for, for other people, I think, who are actually working the tournament, not just as journalists, but you're also talking about, you know, food service staff, ushers, stewards, all all of those people... Um, There's a lot to be said about being able to take a one day to kind of get caught up on life before the second week starts. So, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing, the middle Sunday.
0: Absolutely, and I totally, I agree with everything you said there. I understand people who like do work, you know, standard Monday through Friday, nine to fives, which they on one of their two days off they could see, you know, live tennis. But um, yeah, it's nice to have a break in the fourteen day sort of.
1: Yeah, and trust me from a fan perspective, you get a better product because of this middle Sunday. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, everybody can kind of catch up on sleep and the players can kind of chill out and, you know, ramp up for the second week. So, uh, it, and then it's, second, uh, and then
0: second Monday is like the best day in tennis by far.
1: Yes, absolutely. I think so. I mean, what's your thought on it? I mean, I saw some tweets back and forth about, you know, obviously for those who are not accustomed or, or know about the whole Wimbledon thing, obviously there's middle Sunday where no play, uh, happens mm-hmm. um, and then there's the first Monday which is all rounds of 16 played um, which is pretty cool, it gets everybody kind of on the same schedule and uh, and stuff like that but it makes for basically true Manic Monday yeah. um, but what are your thoughts Ben? I, I saw some tweets where people were saying that it's actually overkill and it, it becomes kind of well, uh,
2: I'm,
1: of,
0: I'm, I'm of two minds on it I, un- I understand why it can be negative because there's a lot of matches you just don't get to see because everything's going on at once, but it also is this sort of wonderful deluge of tennis, where you like, you know, just have to try to catch the deluge in a paper cup. Is you know, whoever those people said in the '80s, who was that? <laughs> crowded House. No, was who, who said, "Don't dream it so." Anyway, yep. uh, uh,
1: Crowded House. Yeah, Crowded House. Nope. Don't dream it yeah, yeah. over.
0: If you don't know yeah. that, kids, get on the YouTube. It's pretty awesome. Anyway, I've been to Second Monday before, and it was amazing. Oh, yeah. And I got a grounds pass back when court two, the old graveyard court two, they would let you in with a grounds pass. And so on that day, I got to see parts of Venus Williams, Serena Williams, were both on court two. They both complained about it, but I wasn't complaining about them being there. Um, <laughs> I got to see a like, 13-11 match in the fifth set between like Anchich and Verdasco or something, I got to see Dementieva on court 12. I got to see a little bit of Yelena Yankovic on court 18, which was her famous you know, t- helicopter appearance there. <laughs> and so I just thought it was a lot of fun. And I understand why there's gonna be stuff you miss. And I think there's something like six women's matches that are first up or something. So if you're yep. a WTA fan, you're going to miss a lot. But um, I just think it's cool to have everything going at once. And the tickets are just amazing. It's a great in-person yeah. experience.
1: It, it, it's really, you know, worth, you know, queuing up just for a grounds pass. I mean, just looking at the the, the order of play uh, for tomorrow, which I'm not entirely sure we're going to get to because the weather forecast is really, really bad. Mm-hmm. So I actually really feel for the people who have queued up yeah. <laughs> because they might not get to see anything. That'd be bad. But um, yeah, but like for like the non-show courts, um, you know, court 12, Pasha and Vinci, Kirilenko, Pang, Baker, Kohlschreiber. On court twelve, actually, yeah, Which is nice. And obviously, court three. There's there's some general admission, like standing room only. So, or you know, there's some free unreserved seats. So you could see Petra, you could see Kleister's Kerber, and you get to see Richard Gasquet. I mean, that's, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty solid. But Cl- I mean, Kleister's
0: is on three. Yeah. Wow, that's surprising.
1: Have you have you seen the order? of I actually ha- I actually haven't, but it, you should look it up because. I am, my jaw dropped the minute that I saw Ivanovic Azarenka on center court.
0: See, I understand that, I think, because I think I heard that that was there. I think that's the one where they have the two, where, like, the lower star power person has the highest star power. You know what I mean?
1: Right, right. But it it would make sense if that was, like, if there weren't more marquee matchups. But with Sharapova Lissicki... That's true. How do you not? I mean, obviously, if you're Wimbledon and Wimbledon has you know, been public about how they take looks into consideration of what they schedule and, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, you know, so you have Sharapova, you have the star power of that. You have the world number one most recent Grand Slam champion um, against Sabina Lisicki, which is a rematch of last year's semifinal.
0: True, but maybe they're That's thinking that it's not exactly. going to be close because lisicki has been no good lately.
1: Well, fine, but do they really think Ivanovic Azarenka is going to be close? I'm not convinced that's going to be close. Oh,
0: well, I picked Ivanovich to win that match in my bracket, so I guess Weirdo. I guess uh, I think it's going to be at least interesting. I don't know. Uh, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. So we'll see. So yeah, so let's see. We have Ivanovic on center. Murray. By the way, the whole only women get only one match on each of the two big show yes. courts, Dumb.
1: Dumb. Don't even want to talk about it. The, I just can't even deal. I had to explain that a, a bunch of times this week to other people. Um, I'm doing some writing for the Wimbledon website, so I'm kind of bunkered down mm-hmm. in the broadcast center in a basement. Um, but, you know, like uh, kind of explaining to to other people in the room, like they only will put one women's match on center in court one. So, you know, it, it, that rule in and of itself just leads to some curious very curious uh, court assignments.
0: It's the reason that you know Serena Williams getting snubbed is like an annual tradition mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. That would never happen at the uh, U.S. Open. I mean, the U.S. Open because they can play all through the night and uh, start a little bit. They start like two hours earlier, actually. Also, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. they have like usually the U.S. Open. I think goes with the opposite. Goes with like three women's matches and two men's matches in the first week on Ash. Mm-hmm. I want to say. Because women's batches are shorter, so you can fit yeah. more of them on there.
1: Yeah, but at the same time, it's like I don't think that when you name your National Tennis Center after Billie Jean King, yeah, <laughs> that that you're going to be shafting the the, the, the women uh, when it comes to uh, to court assignments. Uh, whereas when you're one of the Slams that you know didn't want to pay equal prize money for the longest time, the last, one to do it. The last one to do it, last one to do it. Yeah, so it goes. So
0: let's let's use that as a segue, Courtney. Um, okay. Equal prize money, interestingly, <laughs> became an issue again this week. Uh, we, I don't
1: know if it. I don't know if I would say interestingly, but okay. Well, surprisingly,
0: I mean, no one, okay. no one really saw it coming as the, uh, you know, cause celeb of uh, week one of Wimbledon 2012. So let's. You've been there. Talk about how all this started and how it's, you know, what the buzz has been like.
1: Sure. I mean, uh, so Gilles Simon, newly elected member of the ATP Player Council, gave an interview to, I think it was L'Equipe, maybe? I think so. um, or at least Yeah, or at least L'Equipe reported it. Uh, where he talked about to be, and I'm, I'm doing my best to be fair to Simo because I think that the issue is a little bit more complicated than people are kind of making it out to be. But, um, he, he was asked about some of his kind of ideas and stuff like that, all in the context of being, you know, on the player council. And one of the things that he did say amongst other things is that, um, he does not think that the women should be paid the same as the men. So he, he's not a proponent of equal prize money. He thinks that, um, you know, it's, it's wrong. Um, he lost in the first round, right? Second round. Second round to Xavier Mm Melisse, a man with a ponytail, which, (laughs) um, and so he came into press and he was asked extensively about it and he never backed down. Um, And he, and the thing that I will say about Simon and um, you know, his press conference transcript is now posted on the Wimbledon website. So people can, can go there and read his full comments for themselves. But I really, I mean, this sounds like a weird thing to say, but I really, it's not coming from a like girls are lesser and therefore they should be paid less point of view for Simone. I mean, other men on tour might think that, but that that wasn't his argument. His argument was, you know, just uh, that the men's tour is what's driving the money effectively. Uh And it's interesting to watch is his subjective sense. And so therefore, you know, the men should be making more than the women and, Um, Based on his comments, it seemed like he was amenable to what the counter argument would be, is that if the women's tour was ever in a situation where it was making more, then the women should be paid more. Hmm. So it really wasn't like straight up. Chauvinistic you know, or anything. Chauvinistic, exactly. I mean, it's sexist and you know because the subjectivity of being able to say like the men are more interesting than the women. There are a lot of you know tennis fans who would disagree, but I don't think that on the whole we can disagree with that because we're in a golden age of men's tennis. Um. So yeah, I mean those those guys are you know not Gilles Simon isn't driving the revenue numbers, but you know the top three are. And he admitted that, and really?
0: he got and he was became sort of an easy target for someone like Sharapova. Or exactly. uh, Serena to a lesser extent exactly,
1: and so that's what what kind of happened. So all the men were being asked about it, all the women were being asked about it. the women, you know um, I think for the you know from the top down, like Stacey Allister all the way down to the players said the exact same thing, which is that it, it's really not about that it's it's not about numbers and um, it's kind of about what's right and what is fair. And, um, and then, you know, obviously Sharapova and Serena both kind of took jabs at, at Simone a little bit. So Sharapova kind of kindly pointed out that, that she draws more people than he does. And he admitted this as well. He was like, she can get paid more than I do. That's fine. Um, she also wins and then,
0: way more. Very
1: yes. crucial. To this. <laughs> yes. Um, and Serena kind of was, you know, yesterday said, you know, I don't think I should pay, get paid less because just because I have boobs. Mm-hmm. Um, also true, although a bit of an oversimplification of what the men across the board are arguing. And one of the really interesting things that I found was because all the equal prize money talk was going on, and, you know, I just kind of was like, you know what? Just ask Andy Roddick. Like, you know what I mean? Like, ask the question to Roddick. Yeah, we Roddick discussed will...
0: this, actually, before. Exactly.
1: set forth the progressive you know, you know, Billie Jean King answer. And my, I, to my surprise, he really didn't. Um, he didn't kind of smack it all back. I mean, he was really, he took this weird stance of, you know, show me the numbers. Essentially, you yeah. go to the journals. you have access to the numbers, look them up. And, you know, and then we'll talk from there. But, but, uh, but he really didn't shoot it down, which is really, I mean, you named your dog after Billie Jean King. I mean, <laughs> it, it was a little Surprising
0: to me. I oh, yeah, I was I was the one I was like you, was sure that Roddick would be the one to, you know, be the I don't want to say voice of reason, but the voice closest to my own, which I will conflate with voice of reason arrogantly. Um <laughs> and so yeah, I was surprised when that happened too. Um I think that people and I think what Simone, I think, has gotten some sort of credit for is at least voicing what a lot of other men's players have thought and a lot of other men's tennis fans and men's professionals have thought. I mean, I've been in a lot of press conferences where people will ask something like, of a men's player like, oh, you know, do you watch any women's tennis? Who's your favorite women's tennis player to watch? And the sort of disdain or ridiculousness which they treat that question as like, why would I ever watch women's tennis? Exactly. I think sort story gets underplayed. Exactly. And there are players who I think you can't always predict who's going to be the one to you know, embrace that question or not. And I was saying yesterday when he was talking about his draw opening up, I tweeted something sort of mentioning it aside, like Andy Murray is one person who will talk about women's tennis. Like, you know, it's relevant if he gets asked about it, which doesn't happen much, obviously. But if he does, he will, you know, make clear that he does sort of follow what's going on and answer it. Whereas somebody, I don't know if I should name names or not, who sort of dismissed this question completely. You want me to?
1: Well, I mean, I, I'll i do it. I mean, you and I were both in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. And uh I think it was a day where where um Christina McHale had beaten Caroline Wassmorthy oh, yes. and Ryan Harrison was set to play Novak Djokovic the next day. And somebody asked him, you know, do you you know, McHale beat, you know, the world number one? Like does that give you any inspiration about, you know, your ability to kind of, you know, beat the world number one tomorrow? And Harrison's response was just really it was almost like he was offended
0: he was offended
1: yeah like that 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 anyone would you know and and he said you know look Christina McHale is a really good friend friend of mine you know I like her a lot I think it was a great win for her and then he just like lifted his head and looked the reporter straight in the eye and was like but women's tennis is completely different than men's tennis and it was like he he just so a lot of times those quotes just don't come across in transcripts and the facial expressions and the eye rolling and the scoffing that men's tennis players do, I mean, they don't hide it. Yeah. Their disdain for women's tennis, and so yeah, I mean, in that way, credit to Simone for at least like raising the issue, so that let's not pretend that these guys are, you know, progressive, yeah. forward-thinking athletes.
0: Even even mm-hmm. they're not. Even <laughs> Rafa in Australia, I remember, was asked by somebody. Like who's your favorite women's player to watch? And he just sort of laughed nervously and was like, "I don't want to get into that. I would get in
1: trouble." Songa the same. Yep. is just like he 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 ignores it. You know, I think that uh, Federer, Murray, are really the only two of the top players mm-hmm. who will openly discuss women's tennis.
0: Yeah, a lot of them. And, I, a lot of them we don't know about. Like so I've never heard a lot. Most of them asked about it, honestly. I don't think. Mm-hmm. But
1: right. Right. But uh, but everyone else, you know, like Djokovic has gone on record as saying he doesn't believe in equal prize money. Um, Tipsarovic has been quoted. Apparently Rafa has been quoted. Apparently Mm So people keep telling me, but I haven't seen like the actual quotes. But that's what I hear. So, you know, this is what they think. And and, um, I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah. I mean, my argument, I mean, I, I wrote up my opinions on it for SI last week, but it's just like, why are we even talking about this? The slams offer equal prize money. Major tournaments who want to offer equal prize money, and that's not going to change because the reasons that were stated for why equal prize money was being offered was never revenue-based, no. and it was never market-based. It was about what was right, and it was about inspiring young women to take up tennis rackets and play, and showing that that tennis was a sport that was progressive enough to to you know put both tours on the same level, and and to the extent that they can at least financially. So because those are the expressed reasons why equal prize money exists, you're not going to get an instance, no matter how much you you bitch and moan about it, guys. You're not going to get an instance where Wimbledon all of a sudden is like, yeah, you know, no, we're going to go ahead and change that policy. Yeah,
0: the PR that would come with that would be unbelievably bad for them.
1: Will never happen. So it's just such a stupid debate to have. Like the tournaments that don't offer equal prize money, that's totally fine. They're welcome to do it. Um, but the major tournaments do, and there are non-monetary reasons why that is. And to discount the non-monetary reasons is just completely ignorant and backwards. I mean, you know, if Indian Wells wants to be, if, if Larry Ellison wants to, like, up the prize money and offer equal prize money to the men and women, and he can do it, you know, okay. Like, that's gonna, that's just going to be how it is going forward.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I think one thing we also sort of talked about offline about this or, you know, online to each other, but not on the not on air was um, about how the men sort of focus seemed to be about the women making less and not about everybody making more, which previously was their tack. And it's sort of your, you know, ice cream cone analogy, which you which works well.
1: Yeah. Which is like you walk down the street with somebody else, you're eating your ice cream, ice cream out of your hand doesn't mean that they get more ice cream. So it, it's not like oh, women get paid you know 50% less. So you know you're getting $500,000 for a win versus you know a million. It's not like the guys get that money automatically. Yeah. So it, it, I I just don't really understand like why this is being discussed. Why it has to be discussed every single time? I mean, it, the discussion has been had. It, like Serena said, like that this is so 2000 and now it's 2012. So Let's move on. Like, you can complain about it all you want, but it's just not going to change.
0: In our our recommended reading links, we should include a link to your buddy S.L. Price's column on (laughs) this, which I enjoyed very much.
1: No, it was really good. We had a really long discussion about it, um, and I had no idea that that article existed. And he was like, oh, yeah, I wrote this thing. So, yeah, but we'll link to it, and it's dead on.
0: There you go. So before, in the midst of all this drama about, you know, equal pay and whatnot, there was a bunch of tennis that happened.
1: There was a bunch of tennis. There was a that whole
0: happened. lot of tennis, actually. So maybe we can talk about that. Would you prefer oh. to talk about the men or the women first? Which one would you like?
1: Um, you know what? Let's do the guys because okay. they have really, to me, been the ones that have taken center stage and, and um you know it's it's quite funny to see ATP fans and tennis writers who generally focus on the men more than the women mm-hmm. go through a week where I'm I'm kind of sitting back, you know, smug with my arms crossed, being like, this is every week for me. Yeah. Like, or as a WTA fan, like, this is what we expect. And um, so it, it's been an interesting first week for sure. And
0: it's also just like, this was the normal state of the ATP as of, I don't know, nine, ten years ago. This mean, this used yeah. to happen people used to be able to lose and that's why i'm i was started to write a piece i probably will still write it but to figure out the format for it but i was going to say something essentially like lucas russell saved the atp yeah. because you can't have these first weeks keep being irrelevant you can't pencil people into the semifinals all the time and have this work
1: pencil pen
0: pen exactly yeah so you know,
1: and that, that's really what it's been. I mean, when you look at the numbers and you look at what the top three and, and, you know, you throw in Andy Murray as well. like, And then just the handful of other players, the Sangas, the Berdiches, the, you know, the Del Potros who who have proven that they have, you know, the capability to beat those guys. I mean, outside of that group of six players, 122 don't, don't matter. Yeah. I mean, that, that's that been the story. And Rochel just completely... It was just one of those kind of, like, it was true anarchy in the UK, mm-hmm. right? Like, it was just, like, you ripped it up, and you're like, well, you know, change the, the, the perspective. And, and, and um, it was great. I mean, I you know, I, again, like, you know, Rafa going out, it's unfortunate, and like, whatever, but it was, it was a tremendous performance. I will never forget that match, ever.
0: No, it was, it, was, it was awesome. And we'd actually talked about this on our very last episode, like, why the men can't pull this off why the guys, you know, the on into the world get these people on the tarp and just can't do it. And Russell had that sort of soderliness of him where he wasn't going to be deferential. He wasn't going to back down. At some point, um, Chris Fowler, I think, was calling the match and said, Oh, Lucas Russell has shown, you know, very little respect for what Roth has accomplished. It's like he shouldn't mm-hmm. show any respect for him. He's trying to beat Never. him. That's the whole yeah. point of stepping onto a court. And but the fact that he that Fowler had to point that out and was correct is, you know, still sort of damning for what the rest of the ATP have been doing for the last five years, I think.
1: Right. No, that's absolutely right. And because it almost, you know, when you say that and it becomes like a revelation, right? Like, oh my gosh, like this guy's, he's just, he's stepping on the court and he believes that he can win. Like that is damning to the entire tour. And it makes the ATP in a lot of ways, a complete and utter joke because if that is not the norm, what's the point of all of this? Yeah,
0: no, I completely, right. I completely. Everyone going saying. through
1: the motions. Well, yeah, as opposed to what we've kind of always said about the WTA, like any player steps on that court, doesn't matter what their ranking is, they will scratch, they will claw. If that means they choke, that means they choke. But there's never a doubt that 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 player believes they can win. Look at what Zheng Ji was able to do against Serena yeah. yesterday. That was amazing. Um, and it never looked like she did not not believe. She just kind of put her head down. and She was doing work, and, and she didn't shirk. And um, you just don't see that with the men. Even Baghdadis last night against Andy Murray, there came a point where he just mentally checked out. Yeah.
0: And Baghdadis, that's that's a sort of different issue. That match was sort of interesting because it had the whole like, race against the clock thing. And I do sure. think that Baghdadis sort of saw the clock and was like, you know what, it'd be kind of rude for me to keep winning points here, so I'm just going to stop <laughs> yeah. doing that. Because he did go on a stretch of winning, like, losing, like, 11 points in a row. Very late I, in that I was match.
1: totally begging him to call a medical timeout.
0: <laughs> that would have been awesome.
1: I just but thought honestly, was But honestly, that's like, something,
0: something a wta would have done. A wta or <laughs> not all of them.
1: Francesca Schiavone would have called a medical timeout.
0: Oh, yeah. And you know what? That's that's how you win,
1: you know? That's the desperation. Yeah. The desperation that is missing with the guys. Yeah. And um, and that's why, the, I mean, you know, you should... Those matches, you know, that Lucas Rosso match should not be a rarity.
0: No, it really shouldn't.
1: And it, like, we can talk all we want about how great Rafa, Fed, Novak are mm-hmm. and how they're playing at a level that's, you know, above mm-hmm. and beyond what any of the other guys are. But there just should never be an instance where these guys are stepping on court and just bowing down. That, that's It's ridiculous.
0: That's sort of the framework of this piece I'm working on. It's I think I had to go back because it didn't always used to be this way. And I think it sort of started for me anyway is when Leighton Hewitt switched from being this, like, angry bulldog guy, the guy who would clap his racket and say, "All too good, mate, and just sort mm-hmm. of, you know, fold into Federer and be like, you know what? These guys are really good. I'm not supposed to win this, am I? Let's just let them win. Yeah. And it sort of got contagious throughout the tour. And there are small instances of people who were at playing really, really, like, the best tennis of their lives who were able to sort of, you know, convince themselves for a while that maybe I should be able to win. People like... um I don't know, like Andy Roddick in Wimbledon 09 or something who didn't win, but, you know, it got the sense that, you know, mm-hmm. he was trying for sure or other people. But, yeah, I just think this is hugely important for the relevance of the first week of ATP tournaments. And Absolutely. the post-Russell world, I think Beneteau showed that for four sets. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Roddick Stepanek. Step- Step- Stepanek for one. Stepanek, but is somebody who always sort of had that, you know, he yes. didn't seem to give a, a crap necessarily about the other guys, which I always were sort of respected about him.
1: Well, it's like, I think I sent out a tweet. It was just like the last 365 days, I've learned one thing, which is that the Czechs don't care. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, like, the, the you know, you talk about Birdich and you talk about Steps, and you talk about what Rochelle was able to do, and then you look in the women, and, you know, with, with Petra, there, there's really no intimidation factor for them.
0: Good for them. That's how that's how it should be. For, it shouldn't be remarkable, you know?
1: Right. That's the thing. It shouldn't be remarkable.
0: Yeah. So that happened. Yeah. And actually, um, I wasn't hugely surprised in it all lost early Wimbledon, which is probably talk correct. Correct.
1: Yeah. yeah. talked about this. Set forth your... Your reasons for that. Because well, you
0: did I, I had, to lose in the I had, second round. I did lose in the second round to Ivan Dodig. Basically, I went into the draw... Because part of it was just bad luck of the draw for Nadal. I did my draws. Um, women first, and then men. And so Nadal is at the bottom of the men's draw. So I had like predicted very few upsets this entire time I was doing this draw. And I was like, you know, I'm getting kind of bored here. And so I went looking for somebody who I thought could beat Nadal on grass. Because I do think that it's been shown that Nadal is way more vulnerable... Um, on grass against somebody not that good, compared to on the first week, when the grass is newer and fresh and slicker and plays more like an old school grass court, than uh, later in the week when he runs into somebody like Song in the Quarters or something, when the grass is really worn out, when he has himself said that it plays like clay and he really likes it. Um, So I was looking for somebody who I thought could do it. And Doddig, who we discussed in our very first episode of this show, as somebody who had, you know, the balls to be able to take him out in Toronto could be that person to do it. So I picked Dodig to beat Russell because I, th- I knew he was like a net rusher and stuff. And obviously Russell, when Russell beat Dodig in the first round, I was like, well, wow, that kind of killed my bracket secretly, that match. Yeah. Know, Russell Doddig actually was what everything was based on. But um, I felt slightly vindicated afterwards. And sure. there were just people who fall. And these two aren't in the t- in the thread of ATP not having the, I don't know, self-belief that we were talking about before. The two people who came really close to beating Nadal in recent years at Wimbledon the first week were Robin Hassa and Philip Petschner. Both of whom yep. are, you know, in the top five of people you don't trust to close out matches. <laughs> yeah. And both of them are way, are, you know, not in the con- There's a lot more dangerous people Nadal could have faced in the first week than those two guys. And he just sort of, I don't know, he hasn't, he's gotten decent draws for a while and I don't know, I just thought he was ready to lose in the first week because you see what he does at these warm-up tournaments when the grass is not worn I mean he's only uh, won one grass warm-up tournament in his life and he loses in the quarters or so very regularly and I think part of that is probably he figures you know I've had enough warm-up I don't need to go all the way which is definitely true I mean there's definitely diminishing returns on winning a grass warm-up tournament sure but uh yeah so I just thought
1: but I mean even, yeah no, it's interesting because it's like, you know, like when you start to think about the players who have beaten Rafa, um, you know, even if you look at Kohlschreiber who beat him in Halle, again, Philip Kohlschreiber is one of those players that you throw into the Rosal Bergic, like kind of school where, or soddling of like, the, he's not really intimidated. Yeah. He's never, he, he's never really bowed down to anyone because, you know, locker room wise, that guy is like a bit removed. Mm-hmm. From kind of the culture within the men's locker room. And I think that that's the thing is like my observation of those, you know, as much as people want to talk about the collegial nature of of the men's tour. That's a I mean, in a lot of ways, that's a problem mm-hmm. um, because some for certain groups of them, um, you know, the little cliques that kind of run in the the, the, the locker room and um you see, I mean, I mean, Djokovic is going to play Troisky, I was tomorrow. exactly
0: going to bring up that match. I was going to say, exactly. speaking of, do you think Troisky has any chance of taking a set off Djokovic? No.
1: No, no, not even close. And it's, you know, all of those. As much as people like talk about, oh, playing your good friend. Exactly. I mean, we, we bring up those questions because those emotions do complicate matches, and so that's why you you almost kind of have to tip your cap to players like Sauterling um like Cole Schreiber like even Maria Sharapova and, and and Serena more so back in the day than now who really removed themselves almost intentionally from that entire like Caroline Wozniacki let's be friends with everybody type of culture yeah it's like no to beat you I need to not know you and
0: as everybody has said um, on every reality show ever I'm not here to make <laughs> yeah. friends and that should be that should be there t- I mean I don't know how many instances of, you know, friendship we can say? There's definitely things like troisky Djokovic, where their matches have been ridiculous. And honestly, it's a good matchup for Troisky He should have beaten him a few times.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But, uh, Especially the USO. Oh god, yeah. And Djokovic made the final that year, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And it was down, yeah. So, when everyone knows, everyone who follows tennis knows what we mean. I mean, there's things also that just sort of get. There's people like uh, Verdasco, who I don't think necessarily <laughs> fall into the best friends category, but just don't have. There's some block that he has of the people. I mean, you saw how it took blue clay for him to finally be Nadal. Yeah. And that was just Nadal being completely unraveled. Yep. So, you know. No, it's
1: totally true. I mean, it, I mean, it's an interesting phenomenon because it's like, uh, it conflicts. You know how, like, obviously people have narratives, mm-hmm. uh, especially writers and journalists. Yeah. And, you know, you and fans, uh, you kind of want tennis to be a certain thing. And so you kind of shoehorn it into whatever it is, whatever narrative it is that you want. And tennis, for a lot of writers, I think probably more than fans, I would say, but I could be wrong. But among writers, like people are really, really attached to this idea of tradition. Uh, the tennis is a gentleman's sport. It is uh, a sport played by ladies, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, um, you know, there's class and, oh, look, you know, how, how classy is Rafa to sign autographs after he's just lost and, oh, just a tremendous champion. I'm like, really? These are the things we're pointing at is like he's a, you know, and while there's really, really nice gestures. And yeah, it's great that, that, that Fed and Rafa are so complimentary of each other and Novak as well and et cetera, et cetera. Like, don't we have to stop and look about and look at like how that's actually detrimental to the game? That this, that this should be kind of a, you know, a bear, you should bare your teeth against each other and, and you should be fighting. And maybe that gentlemanly or the need to be kind of a tennis playing gentleman um, can, is, can is undermine the
0: competition good. at some
1: point. Exactly.
0: I said this last I mean, episode again, like I when Söderling <laughs> went all um, mockery on Nadal at Wimbledon, yeah. that's when I was sort of like, OK, Robin Söderling, you know, came to play. And, you know, you're out there fighting for yourself, for your living, for, you know, all this glory that you're supposed to have trained your whole life for. You know, why not? Why not try? Why does everyone, you know, letting it all, you know, take the 40 seconds from each point, you know, do this mm-hmm. increasingly ridiculous uh, array of service ticks he has now? Where he has to touch both mm-hmm. of his ears and his nose twice before each serve. <laughs> Which I think he's
1: just he's just he's just telling the base runner to steal third. Exactly.
0: Exactly. It's so third base Um, And yeah, I mean, there's just something about that. The people that tennis sort of other players let him get away with. Not that it's, you know, horrible what he's doing, but it wouldn't happen in other sports, especially because the other sport I mostly follow is hockey. And so in hockey, people, if you had any sort of tick or weakness, or you know personality flaw in any way, it. people would don't people would mock it. you, you yeah. ruthlessly, and so well, I it, don't think tennis right. needs to be completely different from that.
1: No, I mean you saw that with Russell and his jumping around, and you know so, I mean you know again I mean that's the funniest joke that uh, that I saw during the match was just like if people are if Roth is freaking out about this, wait till he sees Bartoli. Yeah. Um, you know, just all of the movement uh, during Rafa's serve, and, and Rafa goes up to the umpire and complains, and it's, it's just like, really, like this is what our sport is—that some guy moving.
0: And people were say, people were saying things like, "Wow, you know, Sol really isn't letting Rafa, you know, dictate the pace of the match. Just interesting. It's like, nor should he, nor should yeah. anybody, not everybody should fall into these train tracks of what it means to play Nadal. Nadal doesn't set right. the rules. He's not the dealer at the poker table. You both are out there, you know, theoretically as equals, fighting for this.
1: Yeah, and 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 I I do think that like Novak has been able to get un, I mean part, a lot of his success is his ability to get under Federer's skin,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? With just kind of his brash attitude and um, you know even you know you flash back to the U.S. Open when when Fed had those two points and and Novak kind of playing to the crowd, yep. uh, you know after he hits that that forehand return and. You know, I you could see it. I mean, I just remember the camera kind of turning to Fed, and he just looked like pissed. Yeah. You know, like just that, like what is this guy doing? I'm trying to serve for the match, and you know, that's what makes their matchups to me interesting. Like I actually really like Fedor and Djokovic matches because there's an edge to them. Yeah. Whereas like the Federer Rafa matches, I find generally less so yeah. because there is no edge at all. And Djokovic, and, and Djokovic
0: Nadal less so too, I think.
1: Exactly, and Djokovic Nadal as well, and. You know, so bring that edge back men's tennis it's good, It
0: is good it's a good thing. so, um other stories we started to focus this whole show on Nadal Russell, which is fair because that was, it, the, it story was the story of the story. year arguably,
2: yeah, yeah,
0: um, but what else have we anything else have note happened in the first week? Well, I'm just looking at my draw here. We had Ernest Golbis become a first round hero and a second round loser um mm-hmm. I think he still has potential to you know. At least you know make some runs at some point in his life.
1: He's he, I mean, new coach in town, you know that he seems to like and respect, who's pushing him. Um, he seems to be working hard. I mean, he looks fit.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, fitter than than we've ever seen him. He's almost borderline skinny. Like you're just like, ooh, eat a sandwich. Yeah. Um. So and I don't think so I don't that, think the
0: loss to Janowitz is that bad, honestly. Janowitz is you know, no. it's really legit. Yeah. I, I saw him for he got a wild card. Into, leg like Mason, the term in D.C. Like, they give some weird wild cards to people. And he got one, like, four years ago before he was close to being anything. And he would, I was just like, wow, this guy is, you know, he's playing amazing. Or, he you know, yeah. he serves and just you can't do anything with it. So I've sort of been and, surprised, and, honestly, it took him that long.
1: <clears throat> well, that's the thing. I mean, when you talk about the upsets and, and um, you know, Golbis being able to beat Burditch in straight sets. Yeah center court like that's pretty remarkable um in the same in, in just as uh, almost as much so given where how poorly he's been playing but um but you know and in the same way it's like Rosal being Rafa yeah okay but the way that he did it mm-hmm. in five sets like the stat of the week for me personally is that you know Rosal obviously broke Rafa immediately after the 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 uh, roof delay yeah. So he broke him right out of the gate. So all he has to do is hold serve, and he's all right, right? Um, but his last three service games, he doesn't drop a point on serve. Yeah,
0: and I don't know if you like saw. that. Uh, Andrew Burton did counted the number of shots in each of those rallies, and it was like one, one, three, yeah. one, one, three, three, one. It was you know, they were yeah. all so short, and it was just it was it was pretty cool. It was zoning. I mean, basically. It was
1: zoning. It was ace ace forehand uh, winner ace. Yeah. Ace forehand winner, ace ace, was I think how the last game ended. Something like that. So, so it's uh, you know that that I don't know. I mean I think that 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 uh, that match is still living on with with most people. But um, but yeah, I mean it, it's been interesting. I think that the the good thing about the way that the first week went for the guys is that it was exciting there were some great matches there there are some upsets which is which is weird already mm-hmm. but now come monday with the round of 16 like it's not so di- the bracket is not so disruptive
0: no it's really not
1: you know there's still great matches you, you we're going to have a first time finalist out of the bottom half but which you know obviously adds to some excitement but um, the matchups are still really good um, which is nice cuz you don't you don't want the upsets where all of a sudden you get to the second week and you're like, oh my gosh, total dregs.
0: Yeah, which is sort of what you're getting in some pockets <clears throat> in the women's draw. I got to say, yes. like, and we can use this as just our transition here to talk about the women. So, I don't know how Pang Shui got to the second week of this tournament. I don't get that. I understand that being in the same section of the draw as Sam Stoser is huge when it comes to a grass tournament. <laughs> okay. But she Pang Shui has had to play on her first trip to the, to the uh, second week of Wimbledon. Sandra Z- Zanyuska, Ayumi Marita, and then Arantxa Roos. Yeah. Like and then, it makes you feel bad for Caroline Wozniacki, who had to play Pacek first round and played and, uh, pretty well and lost.
1: Yeah, what was your read on that match? I mean, I think, to me, that's uh, still probably the match of the tournament for the women. Definitely. So
0: that match was really good. That match was, was really,
1: really if, good. Was, okay, because like... I, I'm in the Wimbledon room and, you know, I'm doing the live blog on it and, um, for the site and, um, everybody's making fun of me because everybody's like kind of covering their own matches and I'm like oohing and aahing and just being like the girl, like, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, what the hell are you watching? And I was like, why is the And they're like, oh, that match is horrible. I'm like, what the heck are you talking about? Like, this is one of the best women's matches of the year. Like it's, you know, just everything about it. Um but yeah, like what was your read on it?
0: I said during that match that I, it, Grass is my favorite service to watch tennis on this week has definitely validated that. Especially because of how it ended sort of with um the men's final at Roland Garros, which we haven't really talked about at the end of Roland Garros results at all on here. Um but clay tennis to me, especially in the in um in recent times, as it's gotten more and more physical, it's sort of like arm wrestling in a way. It's just like, you know, it becomes less tennis and more just like battle of physicality and just like who will break down first. Whereas Mm -hmm. on and that's the kind of tennis, honestly, that Caroline Wozniacki likes to play usually.
2: Um,
0: More tennis. hmm? Yeah. And then uh, on grass, it's been sort of more positive. People play positive. um, I don't know. I don't know. Bartolian tennis, let's say, where, you know, you go for broke because what you have to do to not get someone else going for broke against you to get burned, you know? First strike, you know, assertive tennis is what wins.
1: And yeah. so N- I mean, that's that- how
0: Nadal has won his Wimbledon's when he's played. That's how it's how you should do it. And so I think that match, the Wozniacki-Pasik match, was, like, showing what that sort of more clear mindset can do to Caroline Wozniacki. I think part of it was the grass. I think part of it was her new work with Thomas Johansson, which I think looks good so far. And hopefully Mm -hmm. she can realize that. And I read your piece on that, obviously, which you probably can expound on more here if you want, but you know, (laughs) that's basically what it was. I think there's a lot of good work there by Caroline and she needs to be willing to lose the right way instead of trying to win the wrong way.
1: No. Yeah. That's like, that's, you know, what I wrote in a nutshell, a nutshell is just that, uh, you know, she played the right way. She played. She came up against, you know, a player who is streaking, who clearly knows how to play on grass, who, who's who's got, you know, riding a high of confidence. And Caroline isn't that person. She she's just really low right now, yeah. and I, I'm not entirely sure that the people who don't actually see these players all the time, yeah, like really get and understand like where Caroline Wozniacki is uh emotionally and psychologically these days. Um because when you see the difference, I mean it, it there's night and day and then there's what Caroline was a year ago to Caroline is today it, off court. So she you know she's she's coming to press, she's just going through the motions. Yeah. Um in press, like just cliche after cliche, really dismissive of questions, um you know, sunshine no more. And while some people will say, well, yeah, but you wouldn't be sunshine either if you were losing all the time. Yeah, okay, true. But I've seen people who have crashed and burned and had to go into press all the time and defend themselves and explain themselves, and they haven't been as bad as this. Like maybe Dinara Safina, mm-hmm. I think, because she was probably getting the same amount of stick that that that, that and the type of stick that Caroline gets. Um, just slamless number one and yeah. you know, all that sort of stuff, and then you start losing, and everybody's kind of like, ha-ha, told you so, effectively. Yeah. But, you know, when you look at players like Sharapova, like Ivanovich, um, those are the two ones that immediately come to mind of players who have had to really, you know, because they are high profile, had to really answer for their suckitude, <laughs> um, you know, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Uh, And they, and they did it and it was never dismissive and it it was always very thoughtful. And she, so it gave you a, a a sense as a person in the room, as a journalist or a writer that they're working it out there that, you know, with, with Maria and Anna, there was never a sense of like, they'd given up. Yeah. There, There was always a sense of like, they're, they're confused and whatever, but they're trying to figure it out and eventually it'll come, I think. With Caroline, it's it, the vibe is just different. It, she's just she has absolutely no idea why this is happening to her, and she keeps talking about luck. Yeah. Every single like almost every press conference where she loses a close match, it's luck. Yeah. You know like well you know like if basically like she said like if posh on on, uh, on those match points the two match points that Caroline had, well you know like she hit the lines on those, and if it falls the other way, then you know you know in the past it was you know i was lucky and now i'm just not lucky and i'm like i don't there's a lot more if that's truly that. what you think, yeah if that's truly what you think that's a problem too
0: as she said famously in miami um that ball was so close it might as well have been out
1: <laughs> exactly <laughs> and i don't
0: think that's the right attitude to have towards stuff and in fairness to her she has had a lot of matches this year where she's have meaning more than two, I think, mm-hmm. where she's had match points and lost, <laughs> yep. which is unusual, especially for somebody like her who is known for being such a good big points player. Um, yeah. But, you know, we'll see. I think she just needs time. I mean, it's it really has been pretty fast for her. She was number one in January.
1: Yeah, It's only been six months.
0: Yeah. So, so, yeah. so we'll see what happens with her. I think um, her ranking, does she have any points to defend really anymore?
2: She she, uh, she has
0: U.S. Open no. semi-points coming up. Yes. And yes. New Haven, which I think... <laughs> of course. That's when things get serious for Caroline. Is if she doesn't she loses it, if she loses at New Haven, oh boy.
1: Seriously. She
0: already lost in Copenhagen.
1: I was going to say, she already lost the Copenhagen special, so... Yeah.
0: That's the Caroline uh, Invitational, and then New Haven is the Caroline Open, I believe.
1: I think that's right. It's, it's like the Aegon Tournament. Yeah, exactly. The Aegon Championships, the Aegon International, the Aegon Classic. That gets
0: so confusing. <laughs> Trying to keep track really of on which one is Because
1: 'Cause I'm always like, why is an international bigger than a classic?
0: Yeah.
1: And why is an international lesser than a championships? Mm-hmm. Like in terms of like how they've named them and the stature of those tournaments. And
0: doesn't one of the doesn't one of the challengers have an Aegon name too? Like
1: Yeah, I think it's like um like one of the was it Notting, Nottingham?
0: Probably. It's an Aegon something.
1: It's an Aegon something, yeah.
0: Anyway. Confusing. I don't even know what
1: Aegon does. I don't know. Honestly.
0: I don't know either. But it's everywhere. Um, and I've also seen it alternately, all caps and not all caps. So I have to like debate which one to use every time. Anyway, women's, other stuff, people have mostly survived. Well, that's not really true, actually. Um, let's see. But the the main yeah, names are mostly in.
1: Yeah, the people you thought would survive have survived.
0: Yeah, Kleister, Sharapova. I don't even know if Kleister's was in that guarantee list. But Kleister, Sharapova, Kerber, Ker- Serena, Kvitova, Azarenka. Aga. Aga. Yeah, Aga has. Okay, no one in that. In Aga's quarter of the draw. Uh, the four people who are left, which is. Um, Aga, G- Camilla Gheorghi, um Maria Kirilenko, and uh, Peng Shui. None of them have ever made a slam semi before. Which is surprising when you think that includes Aga, who, you know, has been hovering for a while. So one of them will make their first slam semi in this draw.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, that's weird.
0: And then. I was thinking the other, i was thinking recently because I actually had in my bracket. I had Aga losing second round to Venus. Um, mm-hmm. Aga um, can Aga win this tournament?
1: She's playing really well. Yeah, I mean, just like clean and as best as she, you know, as good, the best that she's played since Miami. Yeah, easily. Um, but has she really been up against particularly tough? competition up to this point? Probably not.
0: Well, she has the easiest uh, road to the final four of anybody. Yes. So, pen, you can pencil such, pen her in there, whatever writing implement you want to use. You can type it. So you can <laughs> just delete it later. Um, I'll chisel it in stone. Yeah, exactly. And so then she gets there, and she gets one of Sheripova or Kleister's, maybe. Um, or Kerber, I guess, in a longer shot. Uh, I mean,
1: I could see her beating Sharapova mm-hmm. on grass, um... I still don't really know what to think of Kim. I don't either. I've watched her matches. They haven't struck me one way or the other.
0: That, that match against Yanko was just kind of disappointing.
1: Yeah, totally. Bo- not,
0: bo- not, bo- not in the tennis was, like, that bad, but there was no drama whatsoever in it. None. And, when, and when JJ's not giving drama, you know, you kind of have to check for a pulse.
1: Seriously. Yeah. Um, oh, I know.
0: Yeah, so... That's so who do you have
1: cool. coming out of that uh, that top half, then?
0: Of the top half. Well, my my pick, my original pick for, was the, still, for the semi
1: for the semifinals.
0: I have Sharapova. I actually have Kerber beating Clysters, and then I have Sharapova beating Kerber. Okay. Um. And then I have Sharapova. I had her beating Lina, so whoops. Um. But let's say whoops. that uh. Let's so say um, That she
1: crashed out so early. I
0: know. I I, I, I
1: really I, thought that she would she would rebound here.
0: Yeah. She she's um. I think the Olympics are hovering over her. Cause I remember when I talked to her. In Miami, um, she was like, "Well, it was like, what's your goal for the, you know, clay season or whatever?" And she said her main goal was to get a good seating for the Olympics, which nobody talks about. Hmm. So I thought that was interesting. And so she's gonna be, she lost second round in Wimbledon last year, so this won't change much for her ranking-wise. Mm-hmm. But um, she'll be like a number twelve seed in the Olympics, which is decent, you know.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Big difference between twelve and thirteen though, in terms of who you get in the uh, right. in the third round or whatever. Um, so, yeah, so, yeah, I, I, I still think she has a balance back in her, but she's also older, older than people remember, I mean, she is. She had a different career arc, you would not think that, you know, she had all the time in the world. Right. Um, so, yeah, so, I think Sharapova's gonna make it out. how about you?
1: Yeah, top half, you know, I have Sharapova, she hasn't really done anything to make me question that, uh, that pick. Um. By the way, how
0: much fun is Svetlana Parankawa on grass?
1: I know, right? She,
0: des- she deserves. She deserves a punchway draw.
1: She deserves a Peng Shui draw, totally. No, I mean it's just funny though because like as that's all happening, there's just calamity in the press room of people being like, "What the hell is happening?" And I'm just like, "Why are you people? You shouldn't be allowed past the doors of the Wimbledon press center if you do not know this Svetana Parankova phenomenon." Seriously, Entry, at yes. this turn, yeah. That should be just like the that should be the password to get into the press center.
0: I actually remember saying that um, in Australia, this exact oddly enough example, being like because it was my first time in the slam press room where it's like you get mm-hmm. all the, you know, sort of names of tennis writers, quote unquote, and I was like, it's sort of cool being in a room with some people who know who Svetlana Parankova is. Yeah. And you said I'd be surprised if most of them knew who she was actually, but you know, or you know, you'd be surprised if yeah. people don't know who she is, and that's fair.
1: Yeah, but I think here, just because of the way that, that, that Wimbledon is covered and, and so much, you know, so a lot of the credentials go to, I think, local press, you know, that more kind of, they don't write about tennis 365 days out of the year. And, you know, they're just covering it just because it's Wimbledon. Big social event. That, yeah, and so then they kind of drop in, maybe they're general sports writers, and they drop in to, to write about Wimbledon. that's when you get the, like, what? Maria Sharapova is down, like. You know, four one to <laughs> you know, yeah. So, it's a you know, that's a little disheartening. I mean it, the techn- the the true tennis cognizante everybody knew. Yeah. Not everybody.
0: So but, but... yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> I mean I I just like that was such a that's such a potential bracket buster right there, that match. When everyone's when everyone <laughs> saw that draw, I was like, Oh god. And I was impressed yep. that, you know, she hung with it as long as she did when she after the resumption on uh Whatever the next day that match was, that was that was good to see. So hopefully, I think she has another few Wimbledon runs in her. Having someone like her win Wimbledon one year would just be, it'd be cool,
1: I think. To be able to say, cause, because to say that grass court specialists exist and matter.
0: Yeah, and that somebody who's ranked, you know, hovers right now in the around the 40s in the rankings, which is way better than she used to hover. Um, yeah. back when she first started doing the Wimbledon thing, she was like in the 80s, I want to say, when she first went to semis, or somewhere thereabouts. Um, having someone like that able to win a big tournament, I think this is kind of cool, to make you, you know, believe in the George Masons of the world, or whatever. Right.
2: Um,
0: so bottom half the women, we have Serena and Kvitova barreling towards each other in the quarterfinals. What's your read on, that? What's your read on how that'll go? Well, first of all, Serena has to play Kvitova, who's golden setting and, you know, all sorts of ridiculousness. How was the golden set received there?
1: It was huge. I mean, I think that, well, okay, it was huge in the press center. Did
0: people realize while it was going on or only after it happened?
1: No, I think afterwards. Nobody was watching that match. Yeah. No Uh, I think people were piecing it together afterwards. But, um, you know, once people realized what it was, like there was, you know, everybody was grabbing their, they give you this, uh, actually, it's great. It's this um, Wimbledon compendium Mm -hmm. that has like all these just like crazy stats of Wimbledon and, you know, it's all printed in there. So everybody was kind of, you know, grabbing it and trying to find it. And obviously it wasn't in there because it's the first golden set of a slam Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, Googling. And I I just relied on Wikipedia to to figure it out. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, people were like, wow, this is incredible. And everybody was waiting for her to come to press and she had doubles, so she didn't come to press immediately. And people were asking other players about it. And I think Sam Querrey said that he thought that it was a more, uh, a bigger accomplishment than, than the Isner Mahu uh, marathon match, which was interesting. But the funny thing is that she didn't know that it happened. Oh, really? Yeah. Like Sarah Ronnie. Didn't know. None of them even know. Ronnie didn't it's realize
0: golden... that she had won a point.
1: She might have noticed, but it, she she didn't see the significance of it.
2: Uh, I guess. Okay.
1: So the whole concept of a golden set, no one's ever heard that term. Interesting. So it was a little odd. I remember Serena you know, saying,
0: "Oh, when because she plays Shvedova next." <laughs> she, Serena said that uh, Sasha, her hitting partner, told her that. Her opponent had won a golden set or something. And she said, Oh, she, well, she won all four slams in the Wimbled- <laughs> Olympics in one year. Which, and the fact that Serena <laughs> thought there was a legit possibility that Yaroslava Shvedova had done that, <laughs> it's kind of funny. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So,
1: yeah. So, I you mean, know, you know, I think that it was a cool, like, statistical anomaly. But, uh, and what's crazy is that she'd um, almost
0: done it before, that she was the yeah. previous record holder. Yaroslava Shvedova, all people, had the previous record for most consecutive points won. The WTA. Against
1: Amy Frazier in 2006 in Memphis, yeah. and she lost to the match.
0: She didn't win after she, she won the first – she was up 5-love, 40-love, and then dropped serve, and then broke in the next game to get the first set, and then didn't win another game. Like, what was going on in that match? That's, like – that's a stained-glass window WTA match right there. That's
2: amazing.
1: <laughs> Precisely right. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's interesting to even though, because uh, at least among the Sports Illustrated writers, we were talking about how, like, why is it that no one really sees this as like a, a the significance of it, right? Because it's effectively it's throwing a perfect game. Yeah. It's, uh, writers uh, seem to get
0: it. Right, there's a lot of articles written about this. Oh.
1: Yeah, yeah, the writers get it, but but in terms of the public. Fascination or or whatever with it that hasn't really come, mm-hmm. and uh, you know my argument would be a because it was from Yaroslav Shvedova, b she's a woman, mm. c nobody watched it. Um, you know if Roger Federer hands out a golden set on center court against some schmuck, yeah, that's news. It is
0: pretty cool that it happened against Sarah Rani, who's playing the best tennis of her life right now.
1: Precisely. If this right, had happened right? against
0: you know anybody who Peng Shui had played then I wouldn't have been much of a story. But I think this is what makes it, sort of validates it. And that's what Sam Querrey was saying, I want to say, in his quote. Like, to do it against someone who just made the final of the French Open, that's crazy.
1: Right. So, in a lot of, and, and also if you look at the stat sheet, I think that Arani only had one un, unforced error in that set. Mm-hmm. Shvedova hit 14 winners. So, it was a clean kill. This wasn't a person who just stood there as Sarah Arani Tatashvili, the ball, left yeah. and right. You know, and miss the course. I, I saw you I saw
0: you use that verb recently and I appreciated it by the way.
1: Yeah, yeah. Andy Murray, Tata Lead Hard. Yeah. Yank, yanked the backhand like twenty feet outside of the tram line.
2: Yeah.
1: Um last night. But yeah, so you know, it's interesting to kind of think about why it hasn't captured the public's imagination the way that it's it's caught on internally.
0: Maybe it will. Maybe someday, you know, somebody will make a 30 for 30 documentary about the golden set or something.
1: That's right. That's right. Carrillo. Exactly. Get on it, Mary.
0: <laughs> um, so do we think Shveta, our golden girl, has any uh, chance against Serena? No. No, I don't think so either. Okay. So. I think
1: that, that I think Serena's win over Zhang Ji was huge mm-hmm. for her. And uh, I had a lot of doubts about her going in, but, but coming, you know, into the tournament but coming out of that match, she just
0: looked confident. nervous. She looks like she's just, you know, yeah. uh, pushing or, you know, not pushing, uh, pressing. Yeah, I,
1: I, you know, my turn of phrase with uh, that has come up quite a bit with with Serena is just that she she looks desperate.
0: Yeah, and she shouldn't be desperate.
1: desperate. It's it's not a confidence issue.
2: Yeah, so, like
1: in terms of like she's not confident. Like that is clear to me. Is that um. You know, that, that that Rosano loss really shook her up. So
0: it's interesting to it, see um how much emotion <clears throat> she was showing in the first round against uh Barbara. Yeah. And that was crazy. That's the first round and I understand like when you're on like in a in a slump by her stance, you know, mm-hmm. losing one first round match, how much pressure's on you. Again. And I do think that she had mentioned before, I remember her saying in previous years when people after she when she'd you know, come to the ESPN studio and do her little Post win chat after her first round, she said, "I'm very aware of this streak. It makes me very nervous that it's you know going to happen sometime." So,
1: well, and and that's the thing is like um you know I've I've tweeted about this before because it's just a bit of a pet peeve of mine is kind of like the whole like I don't like this player because she fist pumps after every point or you know cheer you know says come on or points or 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 ida davai like whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's just like a really stupid. I'm, I'm sorry. It's a stupid critique of a player because, you know, and and um, when you see Serena, because when you see Serena do it, or or Maria, or like whoever, it's it, it, it does show you how desperate they are.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, Serena's like you know six points into her first round match against a, somebody who she should be easily, and she's like stressed out. Her. Yeah. You know, and, and um, it shows a human side of things. And it, it, to me, it's always kind of just shown how much, how into the match they are. Um, but uh, but yeah, I don't know. It, it's just been interesting to see kind of Serena kind of have that Ivanovichian air yeah. about her.
0: Less less know. twirling so far.
1: Less, well, arguable. She had, Wait, she had well. one
0: really good twirl in Charleston when we were there.
1: Yes, that the, the the clay helps though. I think clay is probably better of a twirling surface. You get more, that. you
0: get more sort of RPMs on your, on
1: exactly. your um, exactly.
0: So, what do you think happens in the bottom half? Serena, Kvitova, Ivanovich is lingering. Pashik is still in this thing. Uh, Roberto Vinci. What do you think?
1: <laughs> I think that it's funny that you didn't mention Azarenka. I did, but... I did mention Azarenka. I think. <laughs> oh, Disha, sorry. Um, no, I think I that. As of right now, if I were to put my my money on it, I'd, I'd probably say Serena through mm-hmm. into the into the the, the final because um, I don't know. I just really feel like the, the the Zhang Zhe match really turned things around. I could be wrong, and, and tomorrow she could show up and absolutely suck because of the emotional, you know, kind of. She looked so relieved and like, but like when she won,
2: yeah,
1: you know, and um. Yeah, so so I I think Serena through. I think I, Petra's been playing really well, but she's still finding her form, and and she hasn't really reached that. So if they if they clash,
0: they'll bring out the best in each other. That's it's hard to imagine the Serena Petra match being bad. Yeah, I think because those those are two people who really seem to bring out each other's best, and Serena is, Serena is almost more necessary for that because Serena has sort of been playing her B game for since the French Open anyway.
1: I think. Like I, I would argue that Petra's playing her C game yeah. since. I would say since Australia. Yeah. Do you remember? Do you
0: yeah. remember when Petra was down four-one to Akul? That was sort of. Yes. That was sort of cool. Anyway.
1: <laughs> that was a moment for that you. That was a moment. Um. But I, I do, I, think, I think, I think, pa, I think into the semis.
0: Oh, interesting. You think Pashak? Well, who do you 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 said you don't really think Asr uh, Ivanovic has a chance against Azarenka.
1: Yeah, I think Azarenka's um, threw on that match. Um,
0: What's their head-to-head like?
1: Oh, it's Azarenka. Let's see.
0: I know I, not... the one time I saw them play was in Cincinnati when Ivanovic. Yeah. Maybe I'm just sort of biased from that. but I also just don't think Azarenka has been that good since Miami.
1: No, she hasn't. She has a bit. Although, I mean, but she's cruised early here, but... Um,
0: Against nobody. So I mean, she lost a yeah, lo- she lost a true. whole lot of games to Arena Falcone.
1: She did. Yeah. So maybe. I mean, maybe it's one of those, like, you know, someone kind of cruises through so early and, and isn't tested and then gets tested and loses. But I I I would take Pacek over Vinci. I would take Azarenko over Ivanovic. And I would take Pacek over Aza.
0: That'd be cool. Oh. Pasha Pashik Serena could play in the semis, and they actually played in the first round of the Australian Open. It's just kind of weird how these things can <laughs> shake out. Different luck of the draw. Okay, so who are who are your winners, Courtney? As we wrap this up,
1: uh, I'm still sticking to my picks from before the tournament, which is uh, Federer and Maria.
0: <laughs> who do you have in the finals, Serena? Uh,
1: I have uh, Maria and
0: Serena. So you have Maria um, beating Serena. Mm-hmm. Interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. It hasn't happened in a while. No, it hasn't. It hasn't. Um but no, but but I didn't well, I will say this. I didn't pick Serena into the final before I picked Maria to win. Okay. Like, in other words, before the tournament, I, I thought Serena was going to crash out early and um or at least not get there. I think I think that in my picks I had Sharapova over Kvitova
0: Okay. I think. That could still happen.
1: So yeah, it could still happen. I mean, I think that the covet of a Serena match is a toss-up.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: It's hard to know. It's hard to know how that one's going to play out. Um, but for the men, I had Federer over... I think I had Federer over Nadal. Mm-hmm. So...
0: You got Roshold.
1: Yeah, I got Roshold, but uh, but I still I still think Federer's through.
0: I have Murray... I had Murray making the final pre-tournament.
1: Uh, oh, so sweet of you. I know.
0: And um, then I have him <laughs> losing to Federer, so it's not that sweet. Um but yeah i don't know i haven't been any i've not been that convinced by anybody on the men's side which is sort of cool um the only person who i think is play who hasn't played badly yet on the men's side who's at all relevant is um sangha i think sangha has been really good this could be mm-hmm. a tournament that breaks the right way for for sangha i think
1: i'm trying to find him on the draw he's in the he's in the oh. he's in
0: the doll quarter um, yep. So that should be pretty clear for him. He gets uh, Marty Fish next. I am, by the way, surprised that Marty Fish has made a second week of this tournament and impressed. Absolutely so. yeah, I thought he w- I personally thought he was coming back way too soon. And I think I thought he was, you know, I had yeah. I had give him, and he got a very easy draw the first two rounds. Let's be clear about yes. that. I mean, you can't get a whole lot easier than uh, Ramirez Hidalgo and James Ward. And then I really thought he'd go out to uh, Goffin and he yeah. went straight. So I was. I was yeah, very I go
1: four, so yeah. yeah, no. I mean, how about Brian Baker?
0: Brian Baker, second week again.
1: He's, he's got keeps on trucking, keeps on writing that Hollywood script. We keep, you know, and he can, can beat to... Cole
0: Schreiber. He can beat Cole Schreiber.
1: See, I don't know. Not he Will can. not
0: Will can. It's a winnable yeah, match, yeah. I think.
1: But Baker's played so well. I mean, I've I've I just really love watching that guy play. Yeah. So uh, you know, I've gone out of my way to watch him quite a bit uh in the first week and it's just a nice game. And I think that it was, you know, one of the interesting things from Roddick's press conference was about how he said that when they were juniors, he thought that it would be him and Baker as being playing, that he'd be competing against him as like the American number one. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, speaks volumes about Brian Baker and the talent that he has. But uh, it's just so great to see him get an actual platform and opportunity to. Kind of prove that that might have been right.
0: Yeah, it's really it's really impressive how well he's dealing with this uh, this sudden, you know, slingshot up into the ranks. Of, you know, Wimbledon after he's
1: top one hundred. He could if he wins tomorrow, he's like top seventy or top sixty. I think he's top fifty. I
0: think he's already top seventy with this. Is that
1: I, right?
0: Uh, I think so. I mean, he's got some points. I mean, he made the Nice final or whatever. He mm-hmm. uh, qualified here, which gives you some points, and then made the. Right, he's doing well. Yeah. and it just it sort of sucks um, that he can't make the Olympics <laughs> and yeah. Donald Young is in I mean uh, I was trying to think today sort of um, cruelly I guess if there's any US Olympian who has a worse shot of winning a medal than Donald Young <laughs> honestly I don't know I mean, I mean he has 0.0 chance of winning a medal really
1: yeah that might be right I mean, I'd have to, I, I would have to sit down and look at it because, you know, in what other event? Yeah, um, is the qualifying kind of done like that? Well, because you know, like, you know, all the swimming trials, all the Olympic trials are going on, like within the, you know recently. But the, I, I have faith um, that all of our
0: all of our swimmers are pretty good because this is a very to use a, it's a deep pool of people in U.S. swimming. I get that. Mm-hmm. Um, and all the, and the other ones who can be on like some sort of team, there might be people who are, you know, worse, like on a team, like, I don't know, yeah. some, because the way they do soccer or something.
2: Right, right,
0: right. Um, but yeah, I don't think, I, I think that's an interesting sort of debate to be had with somebody who's like an Olympic guru, you know, any US, because we're not, yeah. we're not, I mean, it's just, you know, we're not sort of used to sending people who don't have a shot. But we're not used to, I mean, there have been years in the past where I want to say like the 2000 Olympics for the women, like all four U.S. representatives were in the top 10. And Russia's had that recently on the women's side. I mean, that's more what we're sort of used to. And so.
1: So, so, so Baker's going to, is he going to be the number five American after this tournament?
0: Um, Is there there
1: an American ranked ahead of him behind Harrison? That's
0: a good question. I'm not sure where he relates to query. Oh the yeah, only, yeah. So he's right there with yeah. Query in that sort of five six area. Query, right. Query also right. yeah. would have been a very serviceable Olympian. The guy can play mm-hmm. doubles. Um, he's got a great grass game. He's done well in grass tournaments. He won Queens.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And he's playing well. It's just a heartbreaker that he lost to, to Chilich. What actually? Really what, thought he was going to pull through. Yeah.
0: What I I actually had him before the tournament beating Milos Ronic. Um. Which, nice. was, which was one, because I think this is sort of, I think we're at a sort of buy-sell point for Milos Ronich now, honestly. Yeah, I agree. I don't know, and this matchup, I think I sort of wrote something like this in my preview. I don't know if I was this blunt about it. But we don't know, because it seems sort of mean to both of them. <laughs> like, we don't know whether, it, people have been talking about Ronic as the next Sampras. But he really mm-hmm. could be the next Sam query yeah he hasn't done anything that San query hasn't done, yeah so I think the comparison there is very sort of adept, and I don't know what proof we have that that Ronish can get over a query level not that that's a failure I mean query is a verge of the top twenty guy who can beat a yeah. lot of people with a big game will win smaller tournaments
1: I don't know yeah, but the the thing that uh, I can see that I just. I just really do feel that Roich is a better competitor.
0: Mm-hmm, that's true. I, I...
1: you know, and I think I feel like that is where I give him the edge. But his inability to to really have a a good slam run after all of the hype of the last year, uh, obviously, last year, you know, there were health issues and and things like that. But um
0: and there's so much hype is a thing. like,
1: yeah, he hasn't the, he hasn't been handed bad draws.
0: No, I've I've been uh, I've looked at the odds pre tournament for like the betting odds for who the champion would be, and it went something like um, I don't know top four in some order. I assumed Murray fourth and Songa fifth, mm-hmm. and then Ronich six. Mm-hmm. And just ranking wise, that makes that's no
1: sense. That's incredible. But yeah. at the
0: same time, that sort of fits with the sort of narrative that's been made about Ronich about how he's the next big thing. He's everybody's dark horse, whatever. And I don't know the result yeah. over there. I mean, he's had a couple close calls against Federer at Indian Wells and... Uh,
1: Rome? Paola, no. Uh,
0: I want to say. Maybe one Clayton Pala. as well. Um, but, yeah, I think he's got to have a big U.S. Open swing.
2: Yeah.
0: Maybe he can... He could. I mean, or medal. He can medal if he wants to. That'd be a good way to do things.
1: That'd be huge.
0: Yeah, but I also think he's one of those things, like an Isner, where I don't think grass does him any favors.
1: Yeah, that's possible. I mean, I really... He's a better athlete. I mean, he just... He should be more Delpo than Isner to me. But he's starting to kind of skew the Isner way. Yeah.
0: I think Mm Query. I thought that was a really kind of mirror image match right there.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. What I think, but I don't know. We'll see. He's young. He's very young. Yes.
1: So, you know, yeah. I wouldn't sell him, but there is maybe like a hold... Yeah, like we gotta kind of wait and see. If,
0: if, I will say, if I'm getting number six on the odds prices for him, I'm selling. Yeah, yeah.
1: where
0: he is right now. Yeah. yeah. So that's probably right. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So I think that's about all. Um. Any other interesting things? Any doubles or British stuff? Think of what. Uh, how, how's, how is the British experience then yeah. for you? What is it like being in this country's? native slam having everyone pin their hopes on uh you know uh i don't know heather watson or whatever else was happening this week
1: it's it's odd because the funny thing and um it's been a bit of an education i mean i've i've uh, been obviously to london and england quite a few times mm-hmm. um cities, I you believe. Know. exactly and um you know, so, so I'm, it's not like I'm a a newbie when it comes to kind of British culture and all that. I'm a tremendous Anglophile. So, you know, been around it a lot, but I think, um, being here during the, during, uh, Wimbledon, uh, and the Euros with England making the the, the quarters Mm -hmm. was really interesting because I've now, I think had my eyes really open to kind of England's incredible ability to lose <laughs> and to fo- and, and but not just that, but like but to focus on losing.
2: yeah
1: like the loss is always the story, not the win, but the loss. And the best example that I can give you is that I guess it must have been Tuesday, I guess.
2: Okay
1: Yeah, I guess it was Tuesday. And I feel like like almost every Brit won that day. Except for Laura Robson. Yeah. And the next morning I was like walking around and, you know, to go get my coffee and I was walking back and I look at, you know, past the newsstand and can see the front pages of, of every single newspaper. Tennis, first of all, wasn't on the front page of any of the papers, except for the front page of the Daily Mail.
2: Okay.
1: Which had which was the story was basically about how Laura had lost. Yeah. And how she had bulked up. Have you seen this incredible bulk story? That's on. No. That, that, you haven't. No. Oh my gosh! I have to send it to you. Well, we'll link to it um, here. Yeah, I'll definitely link to it. But the headline is: I have it here. The incredible bulk: How little Laura Robson has transformed from slender schoolgirl to beefed-up athlete, but it wasn't enough to propel her into Wimbledon second round.
2: Oh, god.
1: Um, and what they did was they took. You know how like. When you hit a backhand, especially the women. You get
0: your big muscles, yeah.
1: Right. Well, the tricep, like, swings around so it looks like, you know, the the famous Maria Sharapova pictures, for example, yeah. where, like, you know, she is definitely not ripped. But in certain pictures, she just looks Everybody like Everybody looks ripped from hitting
0: a two-handed backhand. And when exactly. you get somebody who actually is ripped hitting a two-handed backhand, it can be horrifying. Like, when but, you see a picture of, I remember there were some Mary Pierce pictures hitting two-handed backhands. They were just like, yeah. oh, my God
1: right there's just a lot of stuff happening there yeah. and um and yeah like they, they, they took a series of those pictures and put them together and basically had this whole story about how you know effectively laura robson is like doing you know bench pressing like cinder blocks these days <laughs> which if you've ever seen laura robson recently or ever yeah is just not the case yeah. You know, like, she's really just kind of little. Uh, that's the tabloid like, mentality of
0: British media. I mean, they had a story exactly. last year that was um, it was worse. It was a picture, another two-handed backhand picture of, I want to say, Vitalia Diachenko.
1: It was, it's the Diachenko, and it was the same thing. They called her the Incredible Hulk.
0: Yeah, and they were just like, wow, look at this woman's massive muscles. That's just somebody, like, that's just photographers standing in their photos and, like, photo editors picking to them and being like, holy hell, this woman is, you know, Thor, Let's see this and just you know it's it's lazy and it's a, there's a chorus. I haven't heard anything grunting stuff yet at Wimbledon. Maybe you have, but it seems like that refrain at least is not there this year.
1: No, no, I think that the equal prize money thing kind of took over for a while and let people that was the vehicle upon which to bash women's tennis. Okay. So <laughs> normally it's grunting, but this time it was that. Um, I found it hilarious just because people were complaining a lot about the spitting.
0: Yeah, I've heard that. I heard that with Russell.
1: I've not seen at all. Like I, I did, or at least I just didn't, didn't notice. After, um, after
0: somebody complained about it about Russell, I saw him do it one more time. Um, but I don't care. I'm used to yeah. athletes spitting.
1: Yeah, athletes. I mean, that's the thing. Is like somehow, particularly, I feel like in this country, people seem to still think they live in the days of Fred Perry, where men. Should wear long pants and women should, you know, the, should be in long dresses and play a delicate style of game and all that sort of stuff. And there's just really no recognition of how brutal the game is these days. Yeah. Um, you're gonna get saliva
0: uh, in your mouth sometimes, people. You gotta yeah, do something yeah, with it.
1: You're gonna break a sweat. Sorry, you know, and uh, you're gonna, you know, use your muscles to hit a tennis ball. Not, just gonna that's hurt.
0: why Britain and to a lesser extent everywhere has endorsed Federer so much yeah. because like he is this sort of inhuman, no bodily function ballerina out there, you know, there's, there's nary, nary a body fluid has ever been seen of Roger Federer's.
1: <laughs> so true. So. so true. Yes. Yeah. So no, it's, it's been an education in that way, you know, it's, it's like, you know, you just had getting back to the British story, you know, you just had a, a, a banner day for the Brits. I think that if they had, I think if, one other player had won that day. It would have been like the most Brits into the second round in a really long time. Yeah. Um, and uh, but no, we're gonna focus on the loser They had,
0: they, did, they did this at Eastbourne as well. I forget exactly you were there. Maybe you know what the draw was. Mm-hmm. I remember GB tennis, who's a very vigilant um, British tennis tweeter uh, about mm-hmm. like all the results down to the futures, was talking about how the lead story on the BBC was about how Keothavong lost first round to some seed. In straight sets, right. whereas, like, Robson, Watson, and Baltasha had all won, but the headline yeah. was, whoops, Kiothavon lost a match, he had no business winning.
1: That's that's precisely right. I mean, that that it's it's just incredible that this happens, and then, you know, on top of that, like, you know, getting a glimpse into the British sporting cultures through watching the football of just kind of how dour I, they are, and, and, and how, you know, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, you guys have a shot, and they're just, like, you're so American. <laughs> like, like you know like for us like we embrace the underdog mentality we celebrate it yeah. we, you know and and there's always the hope like every single year there's always hope the cubbies are going to come through yeah. you know yeah. like you know there's always going to be that hope and uh, they just really don't have that yeah. <laughs> or at least they don't allow themselves to be happy about sport it's 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 um it's weird i i kind of don't get it i'm fascinated by it that is, but i kind of don't get it
0: yeah the one time i was actually in the last time I spent significant time in London was in 2008, which was the second Monday year I already mentioned. And mm-hmm. the Euro was going on also then. And England didn't even make it that year. And right. anytime I brought that up to people, they were just like, we're horrible failures. Why would you remind us of this? You know? Yeah. It's just their way. Of, yep. It's their coping mechanism.
1: It is. because at the same time, the other night I was at a bar and it was after Portugal lost on penalties to Spain, mm-hmm. And there was a guy there drinking, he was by himself and we just kinda started talking and he was a Portugal fan and he had just come from the game and like all of us were like, dude, we're really sorry and he's just kinda like, What why do I be sorry? Why 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 should I be sad? You know, like it was a good performance and da 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 and you just don't hear that from Britain. Ever, You know, like nobody thought that they would get out of group play in the Euros and then they did and they made the quarterfinals so accomplishment, but then they lose in penalties and no one remembers any of the good. And and Americans
0: think of England as one of definitely the top 10 soccer nations in the world. Mm -hmm. And it's like a traditional powerhouse to an extent. And they kind of don't. They see themselves as, you know, the runt of the litter. And they were in a group with like who like Sweden and other people who were not Ukraine was in their group. Yeah. Like you don't be surprised but, to beat both Sweden and Ukraine people.
1: But here's the thing that that I've definitely had conversations with other people about this week is that England they see themselves at the, as the runt of the litter, but they expect to still be kings. Mm-hmm. And it's how those two mesh. Is, is, is kind of where they're at. So in other words, they, they see themselves as like the run to the litter in soccer, for example. But they expect themselves to be one of the soccer powerhouses yeah. um, and stuff because of how big the premiership is, because of their history of, of within soccer, you know, the whole culture. So the disconnect between those two things is what makes them so emo. Mm-hmm. Because there's like the entitlement, but also knowing you're never going to have it, but you still feel entitled. Yeah. So, you know, and then you see the same thing with how they treat like tennis. I was gonna the say yeah, there's a
0: segue here to Andy Murray, basically. <laughs> yes. Like I was I said this um, yesterday on Twitter and I got a very mixed response from people. Do you think there's any proof that playing at w- the home pressure quote unquote playing Wimbledon has ever hurt Andy Murray? Actually. No. I don't think so either. I think he's had the same results there as he's had at other tournaments around the world.
1: Well, and he said as much, because I I remember he was asked about it during, I think, that five live sit down chat with the Murrays thing, which I think is still downloadable from the BBC website. Okay. Um, And he was asked about, you know, know, the extra pressure of playing at Wimbledon and et cetera, et cetera. And he kind of, his answer was really great. He was just like, in every other sport, home field advantage is a positive. Yeah. and yet, like, somehow when I come home, like, everyone thinks that it's a negative. And he's like, it just doesn't make sense. And, you know, he kind of said, yeah, I mean, obviously there is, you know, this sense of negativity when I come home. So, you know, just like, oh, here goes Andy Murray again, you know, not going to win and stuff like that. The, on- but-
0: the only tennis player who I think it makes sense for is Sam Stoser. And for her, it completely yes. makes sense because she yes. just her results are way better everywhere else. That's not a grass court, um, than they are in Australia. And it makes sense also to a lesser extent to Yarmila got who's never won a single match at the Australian Open. So for the two of them, yeah. like, they both have data there to back it up. But for yeah. the Brits, I so, think the Brits play our, with their best tennis at Wimbledon. And, you know, they this, it should be the surface, like, you've when we debated the whole, we are toss recently. They're mm-hmm. the ones with the background on grass, even though some people have very short learning curves on it, like, uh. Lucas Russell and whoever else, and Jamie <laughs> right. Hampton, who won her first ever grass match, was that was impressed
1: with. That was incredible. I was talking up to Jamie Hampton a lot. The 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 live at Wimbledon people who were covering her match were just abs- like so impressed with her. Yeah. Just uh, and so uh, yeah, it was good. But yeah, no, it, you're absolutely right. I mean, I'm trying to rack my brain. Like, when's the last time that Andy Murray lost at Wimbledon where we considered it a crash out?
0: Um, if this is the thing, there's not really any. Um, yeah. The one time you can consider the people were pointing to is when he lost to Roddick in the 9 semis. And first of all, that's a semi. Second yeah, of all, that's a semi. Andy Roddick had made the finalists twice before and was playing yep. the best tennis of his career arguably. And l- the next, you know, two days later, went 16-14 in the fifth with yep. Roger Federer. Like you right. can't pin that on on Andy Murray nope. at all. And I then know. Murray also, he's, and people said, oh, well, once he had a lead against Nadal and then didn't close it out. Well, you know, no, he's that done is. that on, in the U.S. Open several times. It happens.
1: But yeah, but when you look at his results at other slams, he does have early round crash outs, yeah. right? You talk about, you know, who was it at the French? Was it Burdich that he lost to in that weird wet
0: um, match? That sounds again? right. Okay.
1: Yeah. And then and then Chilich, Vavrinka uh, at the U.S. Open. Yeah. Um, the Aussie. Songha,
0: he lost to really early when Songa made the final yep. there. Um,
1: yep. Yeah. But, but, but it, it, yeah. So all of this talk about the pressure and, um, you know, like what you see with that guy. And I think that if you watched his match last night is that he likes that stuff. Yeah. Like maybe not the negativity and like whatever, but he wants to be expected to win. Yeah. And, you know, and the crowd just amping him up. He enjoys flexing and, to and...
0: the crowd. I mean, that's his response yeah. to it all. He's not cowering. Yeah. He's flexing.
1: And in no other country will there be a stadium full of people cheering on Andy Murray against anyone. Yeah. Yeah. This is the only place where it's going to happen. You know, everywhere else, people are either apathetic or else he's playing, you know, Rafa, Novak, or Fed, and everybody's backing the other guy. I mean, I guess the Aussie semifinals. He gets decent support
0: support in Australia. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But they still have to quit on their money, so, you
1: know. Yes, exactly. Kind of have to.
0: Yep. Otherwise, she'll (laughs) blow him up right that, that's we'll end on that note i guess the queen diet. good plan um thank you all for listening to this fairly long episode um there's a lot to talk about though we're in the middle of the, the biggest tournament of the year so we hope that you've enjoyed it and we will talk to you again after wimbledon i presume when we will have uh some people who have won it so there you go for a declarative statement uh, <laughs> we'll talk to y'all later see you under the roof people bye bye Cheerio. Well used. Very nice.
1: Thank you.